Rugby KO, a podcast that pulls no punches. We deliver rugby insights from passionate enthusiasts from the grassroots to the global game. Players, punters, professionals and partners providing uncensored opinions on how the sport of rugby can thrive again. Welcome to Rugby KO with your host, Katrina Oxenham. Thanks, Greggy, and welcome to Rugby KO. We're very happy to be launching the podcast and excited today to talk to Tim Sampson, head coach of the Western Force. Now let's talk all things rugby. Tim Sampson is currently the head coach of the Western Force in Western Australia. He was appointed by owner of the franchise, Andrew Forrest, back in April 2018. During the 2019 season, Tim led the Western Force in the new global rapid rugby competition involving teams from Singapore, Hong Kong, China, Malaysia, Samoa and Fiji. During this time, he also led the force in the National Rugby Championship. Prior to this move west, Tim was a head coach of the Canberra Vikings NRC team, taking them to a grand final and has moved through the coaching pathways to arrive at his key position with the Western Force. Tim played his junior and grade rugby with Sunnybank in Queensland and is still the most capped first grade player with over 150 caps for the club. He was in the Sunnybank team that won its first ever Premier Rugby title in 2005 and then he captained the team to another title in 2007. He represented Queensland on four occasions, then retired from rugby and began his coaching career as assistant coach at his beloved Sunnybank Dragons. Following the Western Force losing their licence to play in the Super Rugby by Rugby Australia back in August 2017, the Force have now agreed to participate in a revised domestic Super Rugby competition proposed for July to September this year. Tim Sampson will lead his team and has the support of the entire Western Australian rugby fan base. I talked to him about the challenges, the excitement and the determination to return to the Super Rugby arena, also insights in coaching the team during this time. We also discuss where to next for the force. Welcome to Rugby KO, Tim. Thanks for your time today. That's uh, good, Katrina. Thanks for having me. It's no fantastic. So, Tim, you're currently at the helm as head coach of the Western Force. Tell me what the environment is like right now within Western Australian rugby as you prepare for the return to Super Rugby following the heartbreaking removal of the franchise back in August 2017. Yeah, the, I mean, talking about the now, there's a real buzz about the place at the moment and it's been a, probably a, a build-up, to be honest, over a couple of years. I first arrived in 2018 on the back end of the decision that came out of 2017 to cut the force out of Super Rugby and the, the excitement was there from day one in 2018. So the supporters and, and rugby in WA, it still had a, a pretty strong heartbeat here at the back end of 2017 and moving into 2018. You know, they're very loyal supporters. I liken it to an AFL club, one of your strong AFL clubs. They are very loyal. They're, they're very passionate about their rugby over here. Rugby's thriving here at the moment. It's going really well from your juniors right through to uh, to us here at the Western Force. So we're in a good spot. But I think rapid rugby from 2018, moving into 2019, into this year, it was just it was growing in terms of interest worldwide. There was a lot of eyeballs on what the competition was doing and where it was heading. So, yeah, we're, we're in a really good position and now to be given the opportunity to play against the other Australian professional rugby teams, oh, I think it's it's fantastic for the club. Mm. 
It's great news that rugby is thriving there in WA. I mean, that's great news for the future. So the Vodafone Super Rugby, the domestic competition that's planned to start on July 3rd, it's planned to run for a 10-week competition plus a final series, as I understand. Do you have any more clarity on the competition in relation to a draw? Where will the Western Force be based, you know, due to current border restrictions, et cetera? Do you have some more sort of information to hand about what's going to happen? Yeah, I think hopefully the, the draw will be released early next week, which will be nice for everyone. It's that little bit of kick along that rugby needs at the moment as well is to get something out there for everyone, you know, from our, all the clubs through to the, the members and the fans and the players are craving it as well. I, I think everyone needs a purpose in life to get that draw out or just, I think, finalise what the rest of this year means to everyone in rugby in general. So it is proposed for July the 3rd, 4th, that weekend that, uh, that will be round one. And there has been a couple of drafts come through. And as I said, I think they're hoping to finalise and release that next week. But uh, in terms of us, I think it's inevitable that we, we will have to go into a hub setup following the AFL clubs here in WA where we're very similar. With the hard borders here still uh, within WA, that's the main reason for that is to stay over East Coast. And we're looking at a few options and we're looking Central Coast, Newcastle, Wollongong. So we're just planning we've got different scenarios that we have to plan to and look it might be three weeks it might be four weeks it might be eight weeks we don't know which is also pretty difficult to manage at the moment mm. they're all nice places though nice <laughs> nice in new south wales as long as they're i don't know close to the water maybe close to a bit of golf or yeah they're all yeah, the yeah, a bit, bit of both <laughs> and then it's just like home here in perth katrina <laughs> So you've got a really strong fan base there and, as you mentioned, like a passionate fan base, which is, you know, wonderful. With the relocation of the team to one of the areas you mentioned, say Newcastle or the Central Coast, et cetera, are there plans to engage and involve the fans virtually or by way of digital engagement or experience, similar to what we've seen perhaps recently with the launch of the NRL? Is there a way to sort of keep that fan base in WA engaged during that sort of three, four, eight-week period? Yeah, I think it would be great to come up with some ideas similar to what the other sports are doing. It, I think it's fantastic. But um, I nothing uh, directly has come through Rugby Australia, but I'm, our staff here are, are proactive in that space. I haven't sat down with them as yet. They're still working for the Mindaroo Foundation. So when, when COVID first hit us, the rugby staff here, commercial staff, were dispersed throughout the Mindaroo Foundation and, and they're not all back here on deck yet, but they will be over the coming weeks and I think they're coming up with some pretty good ideas, but what you mentioned is a great idea and it's really, really important. I mean, it's important for our players to get back out playing rugby, but the the best thing and and what we play for is the fans and the members and to keep them engaged in some way is very, very important. Yeah. So you've got a long family history of involvement at the Sunnybank Club up in Queensland. I believe your father's a life member there. Your brother played there. And you still yeah. hold the most number of caps uh, for first grade player at the club. This yeah. tribalism and loyalty that sort of alluded to a little bit earlier, it starts at club rugby, I believe, and we see this passion and tribalism that exists in the Western Force and its members and fans. What are your views on traditions and tribalism of rugby, similar, as you said, to, say, the AFL clubs? And, and just talk to us a little bit as well about your time in club rugby. Club rugby, it holds a special place in my heart. I first started playing rugby when I was four years old and I think my first tackle was a soccer slide tackle and then the referee said I had to get off. So I didn't last too long, but um, many will say I didn't tackle for the rest of my career either. 
Well, you were back, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, correct, correct. Yeah, but you know, I was in Sydney, so when I first started playing, I moved to Brisbane when I was seven years old to Sunnybank and ended up having uh, 30 years there. So club rugby and playing for one club and being involved in one club for 30 years was very, very special. And their their lifetime memories and friends that I made at Sunnybank Rugby Club. And I think I just invested, like, it was my life. And that came through from, from my father who played rugby and then coached rugby. So my brother and I were always at the club, Friday nights, Saturday nights, Sundays. When dad was coaching, we'd go down on Tuesday, Thursday nights and fill up water bottles and make sure the balls were pumped up. And so it's just literally, I know it's a cliche, but it's in my blood. And I can't see you know, for many years to come me not having a year off rugby. Well, hopefully not because it means I don't have a job. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, uh, club rugby is hugely important. And uh, I think my father in the corporate world many years ago gave an example of a, a pyramid example of who's important within an establishment and a company and, and actually CEOs at the, the top of that pyramid in the pointy end but he showed an example of flipping that pyramid and the people on the base of the pyramid as it naturally stands are very important so when you flip that pyramid and the pointy ends at the bottom the people at the top then are hugely important to an organization and I see that with rugby if you go for a pyramid example in rugby and your base is your kids and your youth over here we have a fantastic program called rugby ruse which is your five to eight year olds that's well supported by Andrew and Nicola Forrest and the, and the Mindaroo Foundation. So they're investing over here right down to youth rugby. So they're, they're your base, is your young kids and getting them into the game at that age and making sure they enjoy it. So they are involved in a club for 30 years like myself is very important. Moving up a pyramid, you know, from your five to your eight-year-olds, eight you move into your pathway rugby, so your 12s, 13s, 14s, 16s, 18s, through to under 20s. Your pathway rugby comes after that. And then you're into your club rugby, into your NRC, into super rugby, and at your pointy end of a pyramid is the Wallabies. But why I'm using this example as a pyramid is if all the resources go into the pointy end of a pyramid, then the base is going to shrink and fall apart and then there's no foundation there. And I think that's a pretty clear way I look at it. And back to your question about how important is club rugby. And club rugby for me is your six, seven, eight-year-olds. Get them in the game. Rugby is such a great game. There's great people involved in it so that they never, ever want to leave the game. Yeah. And do you think that then if they start, like you say, at that five to eight-year-olds over in WA, you've got a good program there with the Ruse Rugby, that that builds that tribalism and that builds that loyalty and that, you know, that's what the force have got versus perhaps some of the other super rugby franchises? Yeah, I do, for sure. And I think the, the issue with tribalism, people people are probably a bit afraid to talk about it and express it. It's natural for whatever reasons. You know, with tribalism between clubs and a, a strong rivalry between clubs, it's great. And I think, again, it's what other sports do quite well, is to promote rivalry like the AFL do exceptionally well and that's why they get ninety to 100,000 people to a game because you know, they promote it and talk about it and the clubs talk about it and there's no issue with having tribalism. It's healthy for the game and, yeah, I'm all for it, yeah. So you've got several players, I believe, at the force at the moment, 12 or so, I believe, that came through the pathway in Western Australia that are now contracted to the force. So do you just think this development of our rugby players through the existing pathways and clubs, as we mentioned, should be reviewed or should have a little more focus on it so that we get that depth of players within Australian rugby coming through to join teams and and aspire to teams like the Force or like the other franchises in Super Rugby? Yeah, it's very important. 
for sure. And I, I don't know how other clubs are operating at the moment, but you know, here I'm you know in constant discussions with the the head of academy here and going down as deep to under sixteen players that we want to look for in the future. So going through our succession plan and depth chart is a pretty common conversation over here. And when I first got here and I went through that depth chart, there's guys coming through now into the academy and and or have been recently signed into our senior squad within the last six months. So I didn't know the guys face-to-face that were coming through, but I knew their names. And then when I go start and watch them play club rugby and watch them play for WA under-18s or whatnot, then I can put a face to a name. So, And then, like you said, uh, having 12 players here in our senior squad at the moment who have come through club rugby and our pathway system uh, is something we pride ourselves on. And that there's a lot of talent here and we don't want them to go anywhere else but here and end up playing in the blue jersey for the Western Force. Yeah, that's great. So you've had some other players over time, I think probably just before your time in terms of your involvement there at the Force, but players like Matt Guido or James O'Connor, Nathan Sharp, you know, David Pocock. I think Nathan Sharp played about, had 92 appearances there at the Force. So there's a lot of notables there that have played there and have allegiance to the Force. Are there any plans for any other players such as these players to be looked at and contracted to the force or at the moment and certainly for 2020, are you going to continue with the cohort you have and just hold on to those players and develop those players? This question's popped up a bit lately and uh, I think how I answer it is, and because of what this year is, very, very important that um, you know, we look after the, the current guys initially without a doubt and they've been very loyal to the club here in the last year or, or two years, however long they've been here. And we, we genuinely do have a, a good place or a good feel about the place at the moment. It's a great squad, great staff. So, look, we've got a squad of 34 and I don't think we can ignore the fact that going into a hub and in a 10-week tournament when we haven't played a lot of rugby this year that yeah, we don't know how guys are going to react with training now and leading to games in terms of injury. So to, to bolster that squad, or will top up that squad is something that we are considering. Yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, it's great that you're sort of looking after those players that have been committed through the difficult times, you know, to the force. And I guess when you go back into a super rugby competition or any competition, you know, you just want the best team on the field. But also that commitment and that loyalty, you know, it's nice. It's being noticed by the staff there. Yeah, and no, I, I think as well, like Andrew and Nicola Forrester, Great people and, and very passionate about rugby. And Nicola, Nicola loves her rugby. And, and Andrew tells a story, you know, in 2017, when the news well, was starting to filter through, that Nicola nudged him on the couch and said, "Andrew, we got to, we have to try and do something about this. Like, we've got to step in." And that, that's when uh, Andrew and Nicola have, well, since that day, have have kindly supported rugby here in WA and the Western Force. And, yeah, within the last few months, it just shows what type of people they are and what the Mindaroo Foundation is. And we, we were very fortunate. And I think we're also the only ones in Australia where we remain full-time and we remained on full pay. And we don't ignore that. We discuss it a lot as a squad about who we work for. And the players are obviously hugely appreciative of what they do. And you know, the least we could do was go out and unpack boxes off aeroplanes that came from China through COVID and we thought we were doing something big, but in the whole scheme of things, it was very, very little with how we could help the Mindaroo Foundation. Yeah, I noticed with the force, you know, one of the values there, you know, I think you talk about strength and also one of the values that you have is community. And I think that that's 
great to instill that in the players out, you know, when they're not on the field, doing things like what you did for COVID and assisting where you can and, and being involved in those sorts of community sort of exercises. It's more than rugby, you know, and it gives that cohort a real bond and, as you mentioned before, a real purpose. So, um, yeah, well done on that. Yeah, I think, Katrina, like where I mentioned before about keeping young kids in the game long term, that, that's our responsibility. We take that upon our shoulders and we have to meet a certain amount of hours within the community. That's part of all the players' contracts is that they have to reach a certain amount of hours each year and that is going out to the rugby rule sessions you know, with your five, six, seven, eight-year-olds through to schoolboy rugby, to club rugby, helping out where we can. And it was huge, but I think uh, last year the player that reached most hours was just under 200 hours of I call it community service, but community hours of what he did throughout the year, which is fantastic. Well, that's brilliant. And actually, that was my next question was around that there seems to be, well, certainly in New South Wales, I would say, we have been involved in rugby in New South Wales. There seems to be a real disconnect at times between the professional rugby and club or even grassroots junior rugby. So my question was, how can we keep that connection and how can we enforce that connection, if you like, because when you talk about the pyramid, I absolutely agree with that analogy. And I think we have to look after those grassroots, but we've seen here that that's sort of falling off a little bit and we want to try and get that back. And I think that engagement goes a long way. So those community hours, whether it's 200 or even five over a season, those professional players, if they can engage with the grassroots, it just goes a long way to those kids or even at Colts or Shields sort of level or Premier Rugby level it goes a long way to engaging and inspiring and just having that deeper connection, whether it's through rugby or through community. Yeah, and you're spot on. And uh, I think the important thing there is that the kids uh, then have heroes and role models when they meet our players. And I think how to get it going, and we discuss it all the time, is you just, or we did explain to the players the why, why we're doing this. And it happened very early 2018 in when we started up again, if you like, was the fact that we had to keep the rugby community here in WA engaged. We hadn't lost anyone, but it was maintaining engagement with our community, which is what was stressed to the players and sitting down with them and having a good group chat about it and explaining why, why we are wanting you to do 190 hours a year of community hours. You get the buy-in and and they understand. If they want to play in front of 20,000 people over here, They've got to put the work in as well to make sure we have a good fan base. Yeah, well, that's that's great. Great leadership on your behalf. I just wanted to mention the Global <laughs> Rapid Rugby competition. So throughout the Pacific, which is brilliant, which is also close to my heart, so Hong Kong, Singapore, Fiji, Samoa. So the product was, you know, sort of entertaining, fast, engaging. Do you think that any of those principles or even, you know, sort of a hybrid of that product could be transferred to Super Rugby to just engage a stronger audience and and bring the game forward a bit just to improve the product for both broadcasting but for the younger audience too? Certainly, yeah. It's been refreshing, to be honest, uh, especially as a coach, to have to adjust and adapt to the laws or the different laws within Rapid Rugby. And, again, it was uh, there were a few eyebrows raised initially getting away from the DNA of rugby. But after two or three games, we got used to it and embraced it. Obviously, the players got used to it and embraced it, and, and now we're flying. It's so refreshing to coach, and I think the players playing under those laws enjoy it. 
And then it was funny last year when we went back to NRC throughout or after Rapid Rugby finished and we started training for NRC again at uh, training. Some of the players were saying, okay, we're going back to boring rugby now. <laughs> so, yeah. But, it, you know, there are certain areas of rugby that I, I do believe must remain. It's a fabric of our game and it's unique, but that entertainment value, I think, has to be looked at seriously. And yeah, we, we've had friends that we made over here through school or junior sport with our daughters who end up coming to watch rapid rugby and they're diehard AFL fans and they come, they've come to rapid rugby and they don't miss a game now. Yeah. Right? They, they absolutely love what rapid rugby is all about. And it's only not what happens on the field. It's, it's a really good entertaining night out mm-hmm. for the fans. And that's what Andrew, again, that's what Andrew wants. He wants a, you know, the entertainment value to be off the field as well. Yeah, brilliant. Mm. So currently the force have committed to the proposed 10-week sort of plus finals competition, super rugby competition, but they've only committed till the end of 2020. And, you know, even though they've been involved since 2006 through to 2017, so it's been suggested that until Rugby Australia show potentially some leadership or a clear strategic plan for the future, the force won't commit longer term. What do you think it would take for the force to commit to involvement in Super Rugby longer term? Um, it may be a big conversation, but what are some of the key things as to you know assist in that longer term commitment? Yeah, I think just to have clear vision on where everything's going. And I know you know they're going through certain things at the moment, Rugby Australia with around broadcast and obviously the, the forced change up of, of Super Rugby structure, but. I think long-term, just a clear vision of, we talked before about the development side of things with, with kids in rugby. I think that's hugely important. I know it's hugely important for Andrew. If he was going best and, and the Western Force be a part of something and having a clear indication of where everything's going is hugely important. Yeah, so I think that, you know, the baseline or the foundation of that answer is just a clear indication. Yeah. Yeah. So... I asked all my guests this, Tim, but if you were given the reins at Rugby Australia, what are maybe the three main sort of immediate things that you would change or you would implement to ensure that rugby thrives again? Definite focus and put a lot of resources through the the younger age groups of rugby. And there's probably no easy answer there around financial restrictions at the moment, but it doesn't have to be the financial side of things as well. I touched on what we expect our players to do out in the community, and that, that's free of charge. Yeah, they're, they're doing their 190, 200 hours a year. That doesn't cost a cent. And it's yeah. just the, the players buying into the, the vision of where the game needs to go it is very important. In terms of if we go back to top-level rugby and or super, super rugby, whatever it might be called in the future, I remember having a quick chat to a former Wallaby before an NRC game last year and, and we we're having a chat around just moving forward, worrying about Australian rugby and, and not pleasing others. And I think that's that's very important given the current situation is just is to get our own backyard right first before we look to go, you know, what competition, what size competition is just to get things right within our own country first and uh, because it's all there. We all know there's so much talent here in Australian rugby. There's, you know, there's a lot of good coaches involved in rugby at the moment. I mean, you know, from the top end right through to club rugby and into schoolboy rugby. Uh, you know, I know a lot of coaches that are floating around at the moment at those levels and there's a lot of good stuff coming through. So I think getting our own backyard and what suits us you know, for the next 
you know, between World Cups, the next maybe four or five years is to make sure that it's what we want and that will get us back on track for whatever lies ahead down the track. Yeah. I don't know if that was two or three, Katrina. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we'll bundle them up. We'll separate them later. I think you touch on, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about the grassroots rugby, which is close to my heart as well. It's a message that comes through time and time again, you know, from all areas of rugby that there needs to be a further focus on it just to develop that, you know, that depth of rugby and the future of rugby in Australia. I know that some of the sort of advantages of the COVID time was that some of the the training techniques, because there was there was no contact allowed, because they had to go back to those basic drills, catch and pass, you know, they they went back to basics and even in schools, high schools, you know, clubs around the country, they've gone back and taught those basic skills and just had to do it. You know, that was training. That's all it was. There was no complicated pods or moves or plans for grassroots players. It was just back to basics. So what are your thoughts around that? You know, so does the Western Force, for example, have a certain style of play? Do you reiterate those basics and maybe just a message to kids that are aspiring to be a player, say at the Western Force or next level, the importance of those basic skills? Yeah, so to give you a bit of an insight as to what we did here through the the peak of the pandemic, we had four weeks of one-on-one training. It was when you could only train one-on-one. So we we split the the guys into groups of four and we had four coaches on field, one-on-one with the players at a time. And so they were on a conveyor belt. They would come through in their groups of four from 8.30 in the morning to 2.30 in the afternoon. And what it enabled us to do was was get that one-on-one coaching that we don't normally get for long periods at a professional level. And it worked out to be over four weeks of our one-on-one training of eight hours per player of one-on-one coaching, which is huge. And we had to be creative, but I can honestly say we we did drills and skills that you would find that the under-10s at Borkham Hills Rugby Club would do. A lot of just catch-pass, simple catch-pass stuff. We weren't allowed to do contact at that stage, but we're just, you know, we're doing tackle tracking and getting our, our bodies in the right position before we carry the footy, after we carry the footy. So a message there for me is to keep things very simple and I, that, that's part of my coaching. I'd like to keep things simple and make sure we're very, very good and at you know, an elite level of your simple rugby skills. And I remember reading a good article years ago and it was Steve Larkham and Dan Carter, obviously two probably best fly halves in the last decade in world rugby, and they were interviewed talking about what they concentrate on at training and they said without fault at every training session they would do extras just working on their catch pass as a fly half. So even in, you know, the best players in the world just do simple catching, simple passing to get that repetition in and staying on top of your game is really important. Yeah, definitely good advice there. So do you think the, the force are ready? You've had this time, this one-on-one training and Obviously, you know, you've had sort of two years in terms of being out of super rugby, although you've obviously still played at that rapid rugby and they've obviously played throughout the Pacific. But how do you think the force are placed to start up on July 3rd? Yeah, we're just taking it back a bit. When we first broke because of COVID, we had to, we had to leave for a couple of weeks and I sent an email to the staff because everyone had to leave pretty quickly. So I sent a pretty long email out and, and just I mentioned to the staff for key areas that we have to be as leaders for our players through COVID. 
And at the bottom of it, yeah, you know, when there were rumours around then of, uh, and there were early rumours about a, a domestic comp, I said to our staff, we need to be the best prepared team in Australia for this competition. And we're very happy with where we're at. I think considering we did remain full-time here at work, thanks to Andrew and Nicola, that we were unable to keep training. Although around restrictions, we, we were in here just about every day. So I'd like to think our preparations are on point. We're tracking really well. We've still got maybe four weeks to our first game, depending if we get a buy or not in that first round. It might be a bit longer, but we're tracking really well and we've planned it so we've had a soft land in the last week and a half before we really ramp things up next week. So, yeah, look, I think we've got a really talented squad. It's a good mix. We've got some senior players in our squad. We've got some guys that are really hitting their straps in their mid-20s who have been in a professional program now for two, three, four years. But And then we've got some good youth, like I mentioned before, that have come through our systems here. So it's a, it's a well-balanced squad. We're under no illusions. We're, we're going to have to play better rugby probably than what we, we have previously. But I know this group's got it in them for sure. Great. Finally, Tim, do you have a message for the WA fans as you approach the date? You know, what's your message to them? I think there's a thank you, without a doubt. And like I said before, they're, they're so good to be around over here and I've become very good friends with some of them, you know, personal friends, and they're, they're just our members. And something I, I enjoy about it is they care. There's genuine care there for the staff and the players and there's genuine care about where the club's going. And, yeah, it's a, a tough year for everyone, but to thank them to staying strong and solid with us and I hope, certainly hope for their sake that restrictions lift maybe come August, September and they get to attend, you know, a couple of games here in Perth and, and see this level of rugby live. Yeah. Well, congratulations on all you've achieved um, so far in rugby. I look forward to seeing the force on the field again. It's very exciting and, and well-deserved and, you know, they've shown great strength and resilience to get back out there and as you say you've got some great support in Andrew and Nicola Forrest so really can't wait to see that passion transferred on the field and I just wish you every success and thank you so much for your time on Rugby KO. Thanks Katrina I yeah, love it and oh, I love your focus on community rugby and it's something uh, like I said I'm very proud of, of what community rugby does and let, let's hope that they can uh, continue to grow and get through this year and kick on next year. Great yeah thanks so much. All right, talk to you soon, Tim. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us at Rugby KO. Any comments or insights, please send to Katrina at rugbyko.com. For show notes and more about all things rugby, head to our website at www.rugbyko.com. We look forward to your company for our next episode of Rugby KO.